Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 23rd, 2017. On today's show in the water cooler, I'll be talking about auditioning for the Magic Castle. In the news, we're going to be talking about the Knight Rider movie again. We'll be talking about Intelligent Life, Amblin's sci-fi movie. We'll be talking about the Han Solo movie, Movie Pass yet again, and the Hellboy reboot. Joining me on today's show are Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? And Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Uh, let's 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 step over here to the water cooler, guys. Um, I guess it's going to be only me talking talking to you guys today. Uh, on Monday night, I auditioned to become a member of the Academy of Mar- Magical Arts, which is basically becoming a member of the Magic Castle. Um, and the Magic Castle, for those of you who who don't know, is a prestigious organization. It's a a castle in Hollywood, California, where uh, it's a private club for magicians and outsiders can go to it. They have to be invited by members. I have been there uh, a bunch of times uh, at, at the invite of uh, magician friends who are members. Uh, it's a, a great place. You get to watch magic, eat dinner. Um, I've always wanted to be a member there and I've been very uh, scared <laughs> to actually apply um well i should say this i first saw the magic castle when i was a little kid on tv in a masters of illusion special and since then i wanted to you know go there and i got got to go there like probably seven years ago when i first moved to la and um after i went there i said oh i want to become a member and i i had been a, a hobbyist magician for some years and I, I did some searching online and saw some forum threads from some people that tried out and, you know, people that said that they had an act together and, you know, they went in and the 10 people auditioned and only two people got in. And, you know, it's this intense thing where you're going, get, you know, in front of these older magicians. And I got scared. <laughs> uh, I, I only perform my magic tricks for like my close friends. I don't really have uh, routines like that are like, you know, f- filled with patter. It's more of tricks than uh, routines, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. um, uh, 
like anybody else, I'm limited by the amount of friends I, I have. So I can only do a trick, you know, a certain amount of times. Uh, so I, I, as much as I practice, I, I, I don't really get to do a trick a ton of times. So the thought of auditioning in front of a panel of master magicians <laughs> um, was so scary to me. And um, this year, I just said the heck with it. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Um, and uh, and I'll get into what happened in one second. But I just want to say, regardless of what happened, um, you know, I'm not a motiva- motivational speaker in in any way. But uh, I feel so embarrassed to have lived the last seven of years of my life in fear of this. Um, I wish I had tried for the sooner. Um, I, I feel like if you want to do something, you should go for it. And, and I, I regret not having been a member for the last, you know, seven years. I, you know, I could have possibly been a member seven years ago. Um, so anyways, I auditioned, um, it's this process that is very scary. You go there with a bunch of other magicians. I was there with five other magicians and we waited in a room, got called down one by one to do an interview in front of this panel. Um, very intense, very nerve wracking. And then at the end of the interview, you have to do a 10 minute set of magic, um, which I, I, you know, had practiced for weeks. And um, so let me interrupt you real, real yeah. quick. Was it card stuff or was it like coins or what sort of tricks did you do? Um, I did some rubber band magic at first, um, which is like linking rubber bands. I made some two bands link. I uh, did this thing called Crazy Man Handcuffs, which basically you have uh, rubber bands around your fingers and they're linked and you basically make them escape from each other um, or melt through each other rather. Um, Sweet. And uh, then I did a couple of card tricks. Um, one card trick where basically someone names a card and then names a number in the deck, and the deck's in front of them, and it ends up being the, that card at that number. It's mm-hmm. a pretty uh, good trick in another trick. Uh, or actually, a couple other tricks. But um, it's really nerve-wracking because you perform in this setting where there's, like, these lights, like spotlights on you, and you can't see anybody. And uh, the magicians are, are not there to be an audience. They're not there to clap or laugh at your jokes or respond in any way whatsoever, but with <laughs> silence. So it, it, it's it's not the, um, and I don't think they're trying to do that. They're not trying to be mean, but it, it, it's a very uh, intimidating um, experience. And then after you do your 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 performance, you go up and you wait with the other magicians who have, are trying out, and you wait until they have deliberated and they come up and choose. You know, they they bring aside who didn't go in, explain why they didn't get in, give some, give them some feedback. And Man, then they, they do that in front of everybody. That's brutal. No, well, no, they take them to the side. They'll, t- they'll take a, uh, like, they'll come over and be like, you know, Bill, can you come with me? And they'll take them into the room and talk to them. But, okay. but, uh, it seemed kind of clear to me what was going on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it was also intimidating because waiting there, seeing these guys practicing, there with their decks and stuff and seeing their uh just how good they were at flourishing and cardistry i really thought like i was the weakest link there you know what i mean i was like oh my god i'm the weakest link. but you know maybe that's just my self-esteem 
<laughs> because I, uh, I have good, I had good tricks that I think impressed them. Um, in the end, uh, I ended up uh, passing the audition. I was one of the four people out of the six that passed the audition. So two people did not make it. Um, even though this is a private club where you pay money to join and be a member, it's like an annual membership fee. Uh, they don't want, you know, just anybody being a member because when you're a member of the Magic Castle, you can perform in like kind of the uh, uh, the common areas. Like they have like tables and at the bar and stuff. You can perform magic and they, they don't want people that are coming there to see magic to see to have a bad experience, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So they, they don't take it lightly. Yes. So now I'm a member of the Magic Castle. I, I, I am so happy. I am, again, I can't impress upon you. If, if you are living your life in fear of anything, like, you know, traveling to a place, applying to a thing, you know, talking to that girl, I feel so stupid, guys. <laughs> I feel extremely <laughs> stupid. And not because it was easy, because it wasn't easy. This, this was hard and I had to do a lot of work to get it. And I, I feel like, um, I earned it, but I I feel so stupid for not having tried earlier. After doing this, I got to see uh, Michael Amar, one of the magicians I learned from his VHS tapes as a child, um, perform at the Magic Castle in his first time back there in seven years. And uh, one of the tricks he closed with was the trick that I opened with in my audition, the trick that he taught me on video. And it was just like so full circle and awesome. And I know I've talked very long about the Magic Castle and people aren't here to, to hear about magic. Uh, but um, it was just an incredible experience and I can't wait. I'm not a member yet. Uh, the The committee meets at the end of the uh, end of this month and has to approve the list of names. But barring, you know, barring I uh, fly a plane into a building... <laughs> Or something, <laughs> <laughs> barring you know any craziness, uh, I think I'm in. I think I'm good, and um, I'm so excited to be part of the. I've been part of magic communities online, where you, you you're part of message boards, and you know you watch videos and discuss how the, to make the art better. Um, but this is going to be cool to be able to have a place, a clubhouse to go and, you know, work out things with other magicians and they have a library of magic that I'll have access to. And it's, um, Ben, I can invite you. I can invite Man, other people I, to come. Yeah. I was not going to say it, but I am, have been waiting for that ever since you got <laughs> in. I've just been sitting here, here on pins and needles waiting for you to say, Hey Ben, why don't you come with me? Cause yeah, that sounds awesome. But no, for real, Peter, that's awesome. It's like, I mean, it, congratulations, because that's like a really cool, inspiring story. And even if people aren't even in L.A., I think just the idea of the Magic Castle is something that's so cool and like mysterious because of its like limited sort of private nature, you know, and like getting a little peek behind the curtain, hearing your story and stuff is uh, is really cool. And I hope people take the larger message of, of uh, you know, going for it, achieve your dreams, all that <laughs> cheesy stuff. I hope they take it to heart because that's, yeah. that's a really cool story. I know it's so cheesy, but honestly, I, I can't tell you how embarrassed I am that I have I didn't do this sooner. So please, guys, if you have something that you've been waiting on, you know, just go for it and put all your effort into it. Um, let's go into the news, though. Let's get let's go past the uh, the magic into the movie news. Um, we've been talking a lot about a Knight Rider movie that probably is never going to happen. Um, 
David Hasselhoff has been proposing that he wants to make a Logan version of the Knight Rider movie um, starring himself. We reported that yesterday on the podcast. Uh, now it has been revealed that Knight, a Knight Rider movie is being developed as a comedy for John Cena and Kevin Hart. Brad, you wrote this article for SlashFilm.com. What do we know? Yeah, so uh, apparently the Weinstein Company is in the middle of developing a Knight Rider movie. Uh, they're the latest to take a crack at it after several other uh, studios have tried to make it work before. Um, this story came from Screen Rant, and it, it appears that the wishes of David Hasselhoff will not be met because it will be a comedy, which is something that uh, the actor who you know originally played Knight Rider back in the 80s TV series cautioned against, because, mostly because he was disappointed with Baywatch. Uh, they didn't really want to see the same thing happen to Knight Rider, but it looks like that's exactly what's happening. Uh, the John Cena and Kevin Hart aren't attached, but those are the actors that they're interested in to play Michael Knight and the voice of Kit, the talking car, respectively. Um, so there's nothing official yet, but it's what they're working on. It's what they want. There's no indication of who's writing the script or who would direct or anything like that um i think there's the potential for this to be fun and cool john cena has kind of found his calling when it comes to comedy uh he he's surprisingly funny in the same way that dwayne johnson was and i think that's going to be his see I, uh, I i disagree here i feel like a lot of people use john cena in the same sentence as dwayne johnson and that is unfair to J- well, dwayne johnson wrong. because i, I don't think I don't think John Cena is quite as good of an actor as Dwayne Johnson, even though Dwayne Johnson isn't necessarily the best actor when it comes to being uh, legitimately dramatic. He's clearly yeah. just pure action star. Uh, you know, he's he's a big, uh, you know, imposing body to have on screen when you're dealing with a bunch of heroes. Um, and John Cena isn't quite as good of a dramatic actor, but he is very funny. Uh, I think he, he's funny, I he was but the- I feel like he's very limited in his scope. For sure. And for sure. And that's part of the reason why I don't think this is maybe the best approach. I'm not sure that John Cena is ready to lead a movie like this. Um, and as somebody who likes Kevin Hart in small doses, I think having only his voice uh, be part of Knight Rider is a bad thing because I think Kevin Hart's voice is the most annoying thing about him. Uh, I know that I'm probably in the minority when it comes to people who find Kevin Hart funny. I, I don't find him funny super often. I, I can enjoy him occasionally, like if he's teamed up with somebody like Dwayne Johnson, uh, and it's not just him doing the heavy lifting as far as the comedy is concerned. But uh, I, as a little aside in my article, I propose that they should have T.J. Miller play Michael Knight as a detective who is like being punished and forced to go work with, in this like technological experimental program where they're giving police officers smart cars and that the voice of kit should be bill Hader. that's what i think should happen you know take it or leave it whatever i mean i think i think that's a better pitch than this pitch but i don't know ben what do you think about this do we need a night writer comedy I mean, I, I think that's probably a better approach at it because the concept is sort of inherently ludicrous, right? Like, I, I don't know if, like, treating it as, like, a grim, gritty Logan-style thing, if people would be able to get over that. Because even though Knight Rider is not, like, a popular thing in the consciousness very much anymore, th- whatever people look back on it, it's like, oh, yeah, that was that cheesy show from the 80s. Like, the idea of completely revamping the tone um seems like it might fall flat to me but i am sort of on brad's side here i think john cena has a lot of potential i think he has not um maybe been 
uh, I don't know, maybe he hasn't had the same like uh, level of career opportunities that Dwayne Johnson had at this stage, you know, because like Dwayne Johnson did a lot of iffy movies before he became before he joined the Fast and the Furious franchise and became like franchise Viagra, right? Like he was in some pretty questionable stuff. And I feel like that's sort of the level that Cena is at right now. And maybe Cena is like emerging from that level and has the potential to sort of rise up uh, a rank on the, in the Hollywood ladder. So uh, maybe, yeah, like a 21 jump street esque uh, comedy like that could work. I also like Brad's idea about uh, Bill Hader. And (laughs) I think that would be a a cool opportunity and TJ Miller, especially because it's like, he's, sort of flown off the handles so far recently the idea of having him playing like a a begrudging person where it's almost like a meta commentary where he would he's like angry that he's in this movie i think that might be kind of a cool uh opportunity for uh to mine some extra comedy out of that i feel like for me the only way i would want to see a night rider movie is if lord and miller were doing it or the guys that did mcruber were doing it oh yeah um, man that, it'd be a great fit yeah but other than that, I, I don't think I have any interest in this. So this is probably the last time you're going to hear about it on this podcast. Unless <laughs> something solidifies. Um, also in the news, a project that has been in the works for quite some time, Intelligent Life, is being produced by Steven Spielberg Amblin, has found a director. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly, the guys who wrote uh, Jurassic World and Safety Not Guaranteed, uh, they wrote a sci-fi script a few years ago for a movie called The Ambassador. I think since then, the title has officially changed to Intelligent Life. It's sort of a high-concept thing uh, about a United Nations delegate who is the Earth's representative when we make first contact with alien life, and he falls in love with a mysterious woman who turns out to be an alien. And that's basically all we know about the concept of the movie. We're not sure how much of the premise has maybe shifted along with that potential, uh, with the title change. But uh, now this project has basically sat on the shelf for a couple years. Ava DuVernay was once uh, attached to direct it, but she ended up going to make uh, A Wrinkle in Time instead. And now the project has finally found a director in um, a filmmaker named Rebecca Thomas, who I think has only done, you know, one movie so far uh, that like nobody has really seen. Uh, I think it's called Electric Children, and it came out in 2012. I've never even heard of it before, but uh, she has a lot of heat right now, as they say, and Hollywood. Uh, She is attached to direct Universal's Little Mermaid movie. Um, She, I think, was up for the uh, Captain Marvel director's chair at one point. Uh, She also has an adaptation of John Green's Looking for Alaska on her plate. And yeah, so she uh, directed one of the episodes of Stranger Things season two, and she is now the candidate, the uh, the person who's going to be making this movie. So I'm just glad, you know, we've been writing about this film for a long time now. I'm just glad that somebody is going to be making it because it's kind of an intriguing premise. Um, Again, we don't have like super, you know, a ton of details about uh, the story beyond just that basic log line. But uh, what do you guys think about this one? I mean, I'm kind of a fan of Colin Trevorrow. I know that's an unpopular thing to say in the film circle. Uh, I really like Jurassic World. I loved Safety Not Guaranteed. I have not seen his third film, which was critically bashed. Um and um, 
I know he's a fan of like the Amblin films of the eighties and Amblin doing this. I, I want to see an old fashioned, like Amblin science fiction film again. And um, I'm hoping this is it. And, uh, and obviously I'm, uh, I'm all for seeing uh, new female voices, you know, directing these big budget films. Uh, Brad, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, no, I'm pretty much on the same page. There's a certain connotation and style that comes when you hear the name Amblin associated with a movie. Uh, but I feel like we haven't really seen anything that has measured up to what Amblin means to cinephiles. And yeah, I hope that this movie is something that can, can live up to that finally. It, the premise sounds like it maybe gives a little too much away, but I'm sure there's much more to the story than that is letting on. Okay, guys, also in the news today, some news on the Han Solo movie. Michael K. Williams, uh, who you might know from The Wire and The Night Of, uh, he was originally filming a role for the Han Solo movie. Um, he was needed to come back for the reshoots that are being um, helmed by Ron Howard. And uh, his schedule could not permit it. He had another film lined up. So the news has uh, broken that basically they are going to cut him out of the movie. He has been removed from the movie. Uh, Williams told Deadline uh, when Ron Howard got hired to finish out the film, there were some reshoot issues that needed to be done in regards to my character in order for it to match the new direction, which the producers wanted Ron to carry the film in. And that would have required me on a plane a month ago to London to Pinewood to do reshoots, but I'm here on the location in Africa. It's scheduling. I'm not going back on the market until the end of November after this Sundance, his Sundance TV series, uh, happened Leonard. Uh, and for them to wait that long for me, that would have pushed the release date, which I believe is May, 2018. They wanted me now. I couldn't go. So, I, so, they had to clip, clip, clip. Um, Williams does reveal that his role was going to be a half animal character, half uh, human, um, which I, I guess we assume is means that he's just like some kind of weird alien, right? Um, who has kick? Who is kick ass? Quote unquote. Um, it'd be, I'd love to see you know what if if they just replace this character completely if like we'll ever see the footage on like deleted scenes it sounds like it's probably like a cg character of some kind unless there's makeup uh so i'm not sure if they'll ever finish the the cg for it um and of course we'll, we'll probably never see the original lord miller cut of the film or the 80 percent of the film anyways uh what, what do you guys make of this uh, ben um, I am disappointed because I like Michael K. Williams and I was very intrigued to see what Michael K. Williams would do in a Star Wars movie. I mean, Star Wars has not exactly been known for its uh, diverse casts until um, The Force Awakens and some of the in, you know, Rogue One. Like they've finally gotten around to, um, you know, sort of opening the gates, uh, as it were, to a lot more different types of, you know, a lot of different types of people in Hollywood. And I think. Michael K. Williams is like one of those guys that's consistently solid in everything that he's in. And he does this very specific thing 
very well. And I I don't know if he would have done that exact same thing in the Star Wars movie, which is why I was excited to see like, oh, maybe this is going to be the thing where he, you know, plays this slightly differently. And the idea of him being a half human, half animal sounds fascinating. Like that clearly brings a level to the, that character that is unlike anything he's ever done before. So uh, I was excited to hear that he was going to be in it and bummed to hear that now he won't be. Yeah, it's also interesting his choice of words, uh, new direction, which which the producers wanted Ron to carry the film in. Um, it really makes it sound like Ron is not at the creative helm of this movie, yeah. and he he's really being a journeyman, uh, which is what we assumed. Um, but also in the news, um, we've been talking about Movie Pass. Movie Pass lowered their price to nine ninety nine a month, allowing people to see is unlimited amount of movies or I guess one movie a day in movie theaters, a select amount of movie theaters. AMC theaters was not happy about this. Uh, we, we talked about this previously on the news and in the mail mailbag segment. Um, Brad, you have an article on, on the site called nice try AMC theaters, movie pass e-tickets disabled in Denver and Boston. What do we know? Well, we know that AMC Theaters is not a fan of MoviePass. They released a whole press release saying that MoviePass wouldn't be welcome at their theaters, and they were going to talk to their legal team to see if they could figure out how to block it. Uh, as we heard in the days following, uh, the CEO of MoviePass was under the understanding that AMC Theaters would not be able to block MoviePass unless they merely stopped accepting MasterCard because they have a deal with uh, that credit card company to provide the cards for them that are linked to the MoviePass accounts, which pay for the tickets in question after users check into their app and use the card to pay for the ticket. Um, <clears throat> now, what's interesting is that AMC Theaters is being kind of petty about not being able to block MoviePass just yet, or at least they haven't figured out how to do it yet. Because what they decided to do was block the use of what are called e-tickets in their Denver and Boston locations. Now, this, this only affects a very limited amount of customers because uh, the CEO of MoviePass said that there are only roughly 6% of the theaters that are uh, supported or that support MoviePass have e-ticketing available. And e-ticketing is basically same-day advanced tickets. So there are some theaters where you have you pick your seat when you buy your ticket and so those those theaters, it can be difficult to show up and just buy a ticket before the showing begins because it's busy and people have already bought their tickets in advance and staked out the good seats. So there were some movie theaters that allowed you to go into the app, buy your tickets, choose your seats, and then you get your tickets when you get there. But now you can't do that at AMC theaters locations in Denver and Boston. And it's a very petty, childish thing that AMC theaters is doing. It's just like, well, fine, we're just, we'll just make it more difficult for you to see movies. <laughs> But but you can still use the Movie Pass app and card to purchase tickets. You just can't do it in advance anymore. So I'm I'm very curious and frustrated at the same time to see how far AMC Theaters is going to take this and if they'll be able to do anything about it. My guess is they won't be able to. Also, interesting to note is that uh, a few years ago, Movie Pass was working with AMC Theaters to test a special version of Movie Pass that would allow users to see both 3d and imax movies with their movie pass with just a it was they just cost a little bit extra than the normal unlimited package and when they were testing it they were testing it at amc's theaters denver and boston locations 
And there was even talk about them making an AMC exclusive version where people didn't have to check into a movie in their app. They could just use the card at those locations. Part of me wonders if the reason that AMC theaters is really upset about this is if they really were pl- thinking about doing their own subscription service, but now movie passes price is so low that they can't release theirs because no one's going to want to pay for it. I mean, I can't think of any other reason the the moves that AMC is are, are taking is anti-consumer anti-customer um it really seems petty uh and i wouldn't put it beyond them to like threaten to leave mastercard at the end of their contract to get mastercard to end their deal with movie pass do you know what i mean i feel like that's something that they would go to do and it, this is really sad because i feel like this service um would bring many more people to movie theaters and and amc theaters um it's also said that the that this uh, e tickets are going away because um, in I had a movie pass many years ago and it didn't really work out for me in the Los Angeles market because a lot of the theaters here you reserve your seats in advance and that's how just uh, people in Los Angeles that is just how they do it okay there's not many people that show up at a theater and buy tickets so for a movie pass to work, you need to go to the movie theater the day of and buy the tickets. And in LA traffic and whatever, that's not really a thing that you want to do in the morning, buy your tickets for the night show. So you, you're essentially showing up at the theater before you go to dinner, before the movie or something like that. And all the good seats are taken by then. Um, so that, 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 that's the problem with movie pass with, uh, in markets that there are a lot of E, you know, that are E ticket heavy, and I was hoping that uh, you know MoviePass would make deals with with companies like AMC to be able to you know pick your seat day of day of screening. Um, ben, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, no, other than yeah, the whole thing is really unfortunate, and I'm wondering if maybe just like Denver and Boston are AMC's uh, testing grounds for everything, and maybe that's why they're just like seeing, you know, they're just putting their toe in the water and seeing what the reaction is to this. Which I don't know why they would think that anyone re- would react well to this because it's such a stupid idea. Um, but you know, us and I'm sure other people are writing about it and calling them out and everything. So it's like, I don't understand why they're, they're like actively courting bad publicity at this point. And they're, they already have a bruise from their reaction to movie passes, lowered prices. So I, I really, it's baffling what they're thinking. And, and it's sad because their revenue is down, their stock is down. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Anyway, anyways, let's move on. Uh, Hellboy is being rebooted. Uh, star David Harbour explains his approach, how his approach is different than Ron Perlman's. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, in a recent interview uh, with MTV's Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, uh, David Harbour, uh, who is taking over the role from Ron Perlman, uh, basically just said that he's taking a different approach to the character. He said... Ron sort of embraces this machismo in himself and in Hellboy. That kind of is his thing, and I really like it, and I think it's a super fun super fun performance, but I think Hellboy has a certain psychodynamic where occasionally he has to prove that he's the lion and he has to roar, but I think he struggles with his own masculinity. I don't think he needs that as much as maybe those other movies did. I have a bit of a different take on his capability or his slickness. 
Uh, I think for me, he's a little less skilled at constructing that persona. Um, and I spoke with uh, Jacob Hall, who is the managing editor of Slash Film. He's a big Hellboy fan. And I haven't read any of those comics, but I asked him sort of what his take was on this. And he said that, uh, you know, from his extensive experience with Hellboy, that uh, David Harbour's comments sound like they align more with the version of the character from Mike Mignola's comics. And I, I found this quote where Mignola once said that he based Hellboy on his own father, who was a Korean war veteran. I think he was a plumber. He was just sort of a, like a, a blue collar working class kind of dude. Um, and it seems like Neil Marshall's Hellboy, the, the one that David Harbour is going to be playing is more of, is going to be more of like a self-reflective sort of uh yeah, just like a, a working class demon hunter, uh, if if such a, a thing exists. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it sounds like kind of a, a definitely a different take than what Ron Perlman did. And then the other thing worth noting, maybe, is that uh, Harbor basically said that this is not going to be an origin story, even though it's like a reboot of the property. They're not going to necessarily go all the way back to the beginning. He likened it to the Indiana Jones movies, I'm specifically with Raiders of the Lost Ark, even though he didn't actively out and out say that. But he basically said, you start with Indy sort of stealing the idol. Uh, you do go back to the university You understand that he's an archaeologist. You understand these things, but this is just a guy who goes and steals idols and fights Nazis and want to steal, wants to steal the Ark of the Covenant, but you never go back to when he's a kid and you're like, how did he become Indiana Jones? So that actually does happen in the beginning of the last crusade, but in Raiders of the Lost Ark, which he's, you know, sort of limiting this comparison to, uh, yeah, you just like drop in and this is the guy and this is what he's doing. And yeah, maybe you learn a little bit about him as the story goes on. And I think that's kind of a cool um, approach if they're able to uh, emulate the structure of Raiders. That's always a good thing. Yeah, it, it seems like the same way that Sony and Marvel took Spider-Man and Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if our, our audiences over origin stories uh you know are, are they going to just like in these upcoming reboots of these franchises are they going to just uh you know forego this like you know maybe you know if they reboot ghostbusters again will they just be ghostbusters at the start of the film um and just uh throw us in there um maybe that's the way to go you know, maybe we don't need another origin story. Um, yeah, and we, we actually talked about that very thing on an earlier episode of this podcast. So yes, go check it out. I will link that in the show notes. Uh, I will link every article we talked about today in the show notes. You can read it all at SlashFilm.com. We have uh, the- Peter, we have some breaking news. Oh, what is this? Uh, that we're going to toss up today here momentarily. Apparently, there is a joker origin story in the works from warner brothers in dc currently the hangovers todd phillips is co-writing a script with eight mile writer scott silver and todd phillips will also direct the movie with martin scorsese producing it wow what yeah okay until you got to martin scorsese i wasn't interested in this I mean, I'm kind of interested in, I mean, entirely in general, because this is such a weird assembly of talents. Apparently, the origin story won't be part of any other iteration of the Joker we've seen before. Um, So I I guess it'll be separate from Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, and Jared Leto's interpretations. Wait, what? Wait, so this is still in the DCEU, but it's a different version of the Joker than Jared Leto's version? It doesn't say anything about it being a DCEU spinoff, but it's, I mean, keep in mind, this is a story that comes from Deadline. 
an outlet that has no idea whatsoever about comic book <laughs> mythology or anything like that. Yeah, so the proper nerd terms of categorization. Yeah, so whenever they talk about stuff yeah. like this, they, it's really hard to tell what they're talking about. But apparently it says the intention is to make a gritty and grounded hard-boiled crime film set in early 1980s Gotham City that isn't meant to feel like a DC movie, but more so something akin to Taxi Driver. Okay, if you were telling me they're making a Joker movie that's early 1980s Gotham and it's being produced by Go- uh, Martin Scorsese, that sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, this but the really minute cool. you tell me it's being written or directed and produced by Todd Phillips, who I'm, you know, I liked Hangover, I liked uh, some of the other films, but I don't, I don't I know. Think, I think Todd Phillips is one of those directors who has more in him than just the comedies he's made, in the same way that Adam McKay does. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I think the the last Hangover movie showed that. Like he he, he seems to actively want to make more action oriented films. For sure. And plus, he also directed War Dogs, which uh, even though I didn't like War Dogs at all, it shows that he at least has an inkling and ability to tackle different kinds of material that's, you know, not just straight up R-rated comedy uh, endeavors. Man, so this to me, like just, man, I'm I'm sort of reeling from this, but it sounds like uh, they're doing what we wanted Lucasfilm to be doing, which is making movies set in this universe that explores different uh aspects of things that aren't exactly tied to i mean i know it's the same character and it's like i guess the equivalent of making like a young han solo or something but it's a little different because it's set in the early 1980s and batman v superman and suicide squad and all that are set in the modern time so they can't use jared leto's joker if they're going with the 80s setting because that doesn't make any sense age-wise well, so well, they Jared, are just Jared Leto's Joker could be him emulating another like old time. Do you know what I mean? He could be taking over the mantle of the Joker. That so, is interesting. But the the thing that's weird to me is it seems like the direction of the DC EU is taking seems to be like let's make this more fun, less dark and gritty. And and Brad, you're like this is going to be the dark and gritty take on the Joker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This seems like the 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 opposite direction of where they want to head. You know, they got, you know, Zack Snyder's no longer really at the helm of this. And it seemed like they were, you know, going in the the, the direction of more happiness. <laughs> yeah, like hope and optimism or like their big buzzwords. I don't know. This... I'm just I'm, I'm just kind of shocked thinking, thinking about all of this. Like this is just a crazy turn of events. I really don't know. I mean, gosh, Martin Scorsese producing a movie like this? Like, I mean, that's just, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm also just... wondering if this is the type of film that is going to be kind of like a Joker Begins kind of thing where he doesn't become the Joker until like the very end of the movie. Do you know what I mean? Like he's just a gang. It's like a gangster t- story kind of thing. Hmm. But then, but then I, I guess you that would be weird to market it as a Joker movie. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Todd Phillips is like one of those big Warner Brothers guys, right? Like he made that studio so much money with the Hangover movies. And he's like one of the few people who I feel like has some weight to throw around on that lot. You know, it's like him, Clint Eastwood, Ben Affleck, and maybe Christopher Nolan. And those are like the only sort of heavy hitters that, that Warner Brothers has right now. And that studio has not been doing great i mean they've been grasping for franchises and stuff with the fantastic beasts and all that like it's their their sort of troubles as a studio over the past few years have been uh (laughs) extremely well publicized and like the the whole dc thing 
is like, you know, I would say it's been a mixed bag and that's probably being generous at this point. But yeah, this seems like a, a whole new direction for for them. And I can't believe that they got Scorsese involved. That's crazy. And, and it also seems weird because Warner Brothers was pitched, you know, a Red Sun mov- movie by Jordan Voight Roberts. Like, you know, other filmmakers have pitched like these kind of like one off what if kind of tales. Warner Brothers seemed so much more interested in having this connected cinematic universe. Yeah. Um, it also makes me wonder if, you know, we know that the Flash movie is going to be called Flashpoint. And there's been a lot of speculation about that kind of being a reboot of this uh, DCEU. I wonder if, you know, this might reboot the Joker. And it, I mean, would we dare to suggest that they could possibly introduce a new Batman in this movie if they decide to, if Ben Affleck doesn't want to be involved moving forward? I don't know. I, I didn't say that. You said that. I'm just, get, I'm just <laughs> speculating. We're all just, you know, we're... I mean, we're... I, I'd also be all about a, a completely separate universe that is set in a different time period than these other DC movies so that we maybe, maybe we have two different DC universes operating at the same time, one that exists in the 80s and the other that exists, you know, whenever the fuck this one does. Yeah, I love that idea, Brad, but do you think that's, like, a legitimate thing that they could do? Because you have to think about, like, like general audiences, right? Like, are they going to be able to tell the difference between uh, the two different things? Are people going to wander in and be confused? Do you think that's, like, a real thing that could happen? I mean, it's... That's that's definitely a concern that an executive would have, and studios are I, always. I, I mean, general that. audiences didn't know that the new Spider-Man movie was not part of the last Spider-Man franchise, and that's ridiculous to me. Yeah, I know, no, no, it's it's crazy to think that people don't understand that, but you know, some yeah, we have to remember that there are plenty of general audiences who aren't as ingrained in this stuff as we are, and so while I think it would be difficult to make make that separation clear, I don't think it's unreasonable to to do it and just give it a shot, especially. If you do something like have Flashpoint reset the timeline and have you know Barry Allen uh, change something in the timeline so that things are different and may, you know maybe we get to see stories that take place in that different timeline that we know exists uh, even if we're not necessarily living in that version of the DC extended universe. Uh, I don't know. It's it definitely confusing, but it's an interesting thought nonetheless. Hmm. Well, Brad, I will go let you write that for the site right now. Uh, you can find more of Brad's work on slash film ethan at ethan underscore anderton on twitter uh you can find more of ben on slash film and at ben pears on twitter you can find me on slash film and at slash film on twitter uh we haven't had mailbag in a while but if you have a question for us please submit it to the mailbag at peter at slash film.com and mention your name and gen- general geographic location in case we mention on there as always please rate and review us on itunes it helps we are in the top 20 film and tv podcasts and that's amazing and that's thanks to your help spread the word uh yeah and we will see you tomorrow